0: It's an evening of old-time radio.
1: Crime and Peter Chambers. Created by Henry King, transcribed, and starring Dane Clark. A private investigator, duly licensed, and duly sworn. Peter Chambers. You're a private
2: eye. That's your business. Anything else, that's for laughs. There are no laughs in this one. Not unless you're a ghoul. Because you're strolling in a graveyard at midnight. You're walking in a cemetery out on Long Island. That's the job of work you're being paid for. You've got a package in your left hand and a flashlight in your right. Your imagination is starting to do nip-ups. When you get an interruption...
3: Put out the flashlight. Uh,
2: Uh, yes, sir. Now reach back and hand me that package. Well, you're supposed to give me the Word? Word? Well, them's my instructions, pal. A real melodramatic bit. You're supposed to say a name. Abner Reed. That's the jackpot answer. Reach and grab your prize. And notice, please, I've still got my head turned. And it better stay that way if you don't want holes in it. And you stay the way you are for the next five minutes. But you don't stay the way you are for the next five minutes. For two reasons. One, five minutes in a graveyard is like say, five years on the French Riviera, and two, you're blessed, or is it cursed, with a large lump of curiosity. So you turn, and you don't turn a moment too soon because you drop. You look to where Mr. Invisible disappeared, but you don't try to go after him because he's gone. And all the way back to town, you ponder about why the guy took pot shots at you. You didn't see him. He made sure you didn't so why the extra precaution of a spray of bullets? Well, he missed you, so you shrug it off, and pretty soon you're in town at the fancy Fifth Avenue mansion of Mrs. Abner Reed.
4: Well, back so soon, Mr. Chambers.
2: Mission accomplished, milady.
4: Come in. Please come in, sir.
2: Mrs. Abner Reed. Born Florence Fleetwood Lovejoy. Thrice married and rolling, you should pardon the expression, in mucho dinero. Worth maybe 25 million bucks and reputed to be stingy about the whole thing.
4: Here's your fee, Mr. Chambers, as per agreement. $1,000.
2: Thank you, ma'am. And now may I know what it's all about?
4: You know what was in that package?
2: (laughs) Goulash for ghosts.
4: $250,000. What? A quarter of a million dollars.
2: Uh, look, Mrs. Reed, you have a reputation for being, well, eccentric, but business transactions in the middle of the night in a graveyard. That wasn't
4: exactly a business transaction, Mr. Chambers. Uh, What then? It was a delivery of ransom money. What?
2: You mean I'm mixed up in some kind of a cockeyed kidnapping?
4: Not exactly mixed up. You were an instrument of delivery. A chore for which you've just been paid.
2: Uh, the police know about this? Not yet. Not yet. When do you expect to inform them?
4: Tomorrow morning. Look,
2: what happened here?
4: Well, last night, my husband stepped out for a newspaper. Uh-huh. He he didn't return for, for two hours. Naturally, I was perturbed.
2: Well, naturally.
4: I thought, well, perhaps he'd stepped into a tavern for a drink. But then I got a phone call. He'd been slugged, rendered unconscious and kidnapped.
2: How can you be sure? There was
4: no doubt. It was he himself who was talking to me, with a gun pointed at his head. I see. I was told they'd call back this morning, and they did.
2: Would you be able to recognize the voice? They're too
4: smart for that. They put him back on the phone. Oh. The arrangements were made, and then came the question as to who would make the delivery. You're very well known, Mr. Chambers, and yours is an excellent reputation.
2: Well, thank you.
4: They're supposed to return him to me during this night.
2: Quarter of a million dollars.
4: I'm regarded as, well, a a rather frugal person, but this is different. We've only been married six months, and I believe you know from the newspapers my husband is 20 years younger than I am.
5: Uh,
2: Yes, uh, Abner Reed, I read about it. And I suppose you want me to clear out of here.
4: Frankly, I do. But
2: you are going to the cops with this.
4: Definitely, tomorrow morning, whether he's returned to me or not. At least then I'll know that I've done what I could to effect his release. They warned me that I was being watched. That if I called in the police, they'd,
6: they'd kill him. Now, easy, easy, <laughs> doesn't
2: it, Mrs. Reed? Easy,
7: easy. <laughs>
2: Good night, and thanks. So you go home. You feel sorry for the old gal with the young husband. You think she's nuts not to contact cops, but you can't creep into another person's soul. You go home and you have a bit of scotch and you chase it with another bit of scotch. You've had a tough evening and you're ready to wrap up this day and put it to bed when... In the middle of the night, you've got a caller. That's the life of a private eye, about as much privacy as a parakeet in a kindergarten. But it can always be a client. Somebody's turned off the car to lights, and it's pitch black out there. And suddenly the blackness is punctuated with blazing light. Oh, oh, oh. You're hit. And you don't know how bad. You get. To the phone. Oh, uh, hello, oh, operator. A hospital, a hospital emergency. You're under sedatives for a day while they probe for the bullets. Then you're sitting up in the hospital bed, raring to go. But they tell you five days, five days before they'll let you out of there. And then you get a caller, amiable but worried-looking.
6: Hi, Detective. Hey, you're coming around real good. Hi, Lieutenant. What brings you? As if you didn't know.
2: He stares down at you. Detective Lieutenant Parker, New York City Police. Stern, square, and a friend.
6: That Abner Reed, Shindig. I hear you were an innocent bystander in the cemetery. Did they return the guy? Yeah. None the worse for his experience. Newspapers got it yet? No. We're trying to work it through before it gets any publicity. What kind of a guy is he, this Abner Reed? Oh, nice enough kid. He used to be a dancing instructor. That's how he met the lady with the bucks. She been liberal with him? Liberal as she can be, I suppose. Rich, but plenty tightwad. that one.
2: What did he do for amusement before, uh, before he got married?
6: He ran around a lot. Nightclub stuff and things. Handsome kid. Figures for a lot of gals. Why this uh, line of questioning? I'm trying to get an
2: idea as to his background. If it was hard guys that he used to run around with, it might clue us
6: to the brains behind this snatch. It's all been done, my lad. And what uh, we've come up with is a large selection of zeros. Now, uh, <clears throat> let's hear your story, huh?
2: You give it to him,
6: the whole deal, and his face
2: furrows up as he ponders it.
6: What makes you a target, Pete? I wish I knew. First the attempt at the cemetery, then the attack at your apartment. You sure you told me everything?
2: Everything I know, Louis. But I'm going to know more. Somebody sets me up as a clay pigeon, and it becomes my job to find
6: out who's taking target practice. Any objections, Lieutenant, to my sticking my nose into it? (laughs) As if my objections could keep you out. Thanks, pal. Okay, then I'll beat it now you get your rest. But remember, when they let you out of here, we work this one together. Sure enough, Lieutenant.
2: (laughs) Anger and well-being seem to run hand in hand. And as your health improves, so your anger mounts. By the time you're out of the hospital, your tents is a piano wire and fit to bust wide open. You run around and ask questions. You see Mrs. Reed several times. The husband's in the mute are recuperating, but Parker's interviewed him time and again and has squeezed every possible fact out of him. And now the husband's back in town, but you're not wasting your time there anymore. Parker's an expert, and Parker's already rung him dry. So now you're sitting in your office and thinking about your next move. And then your next move is made for you. Oh? Mr. Chambers? Peter Chambers?
8: Yeah, this is he. My name is Sandra Mantell. I live at 1786 East 54th Street, apartment 2, downstairs.
2: Yes, Miss Mantell.
8: Okay, I want to talk to you about a kidnapping. Hmm? The kidnapping of Abner Reed.
2: What? What's that?
8: I'm involved. It It was my idea, really. I dreamed it up. I was supposed to get a third. One third share. I'm not getting it. So I want to talk.
2: Yes? Yes, Andrew. I want
8: you to make a deal for me, Mr. Chambers. If I spill, I want to be able to cop a plea. If I turn in that, that state's evidence, I want a suspended sentence.
2: But well, why are you calling me?
8: Because I know you're mixed up in it. Because I want you to go to the cops and tell them I'll spill the whole deal. Nobody's gonna cross me and get away.
9: Hello. Hello?
2: Hello! The address she gave you is near, near enough. You slam out of the office and you run all the way, and then you're there, apartment two. And you're in the presence of death a blonde with blood on her face. Well, there's another blonde standing by, and this one's very much alive.
8: <laughs> Who are you? Peter,
2: Peter Chambers. Now, uh, this girl was talking to me when that happened. You. You didn't do it, did you?
8: No, no. Who are you? Betty, Betty Royal. My name's Betty Royal. I, I'm her roommate. I've, I've only been her roommate for a week.
2: Did you call the cops?
8: Yes. Yes, I
7: phoned.
2: <laughs> a well-stacked blonde. A beautiful blonde. A live one. The dead one must have been pretty, too. You prowl around and you see the gun on the floor. You see that the receiver's back on the hook, too. But that figures. Betty Royal said she'd call the cops.
8: Let me tell you. Let me tell you what wait,
2: happened. Wait, 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 wait. Let me ask the questions, Miss Royal. Now, that gun on the floor, is that yours? No, no, uh, no, easy, no, that's not mine. Easy, I easy, it. easy does it. Easy. But I... now, just tell me. Tell me what happened. I, I,
8: I was coming back from rehearsal.
2: Yeah?
8: I, I'm a ballet dancer. And, and as I came into the hallway, I, I heard the shots. I hurried forward. The door opened and a, a man came running out. We bumped into each other, and and that's when the gun dropped to the floor. He struck me and ran out.
2: What did he look like?
8: I have no idea. I came in and I found her. Like that. (laughs) She was dead. And then? I I went out in the hall for the gun. I remembered about not touching things. Fingerprints. I kicked it with my foot. I kicked it along until I worked it into the apartment. Good girl. Then then I picked up the dangling receiver and I called the police.
2: She's in tears again. And you go to her and you hold her. And she's a cuddly little package. And you think about how sweet this could be under different circumstances. Cops. Lots of cops. Tons of cops. And they're in charge of Detective Lieutenant Louis Parker.
6: Never fails, huh? When there's a corpse, there's you. It's mixed up with the other thing, Lieutenant. What other thing?
2: You straighten them out on current events. From the phone calling your office to right now.
6: You wearing a gun, Pete? Yeah, yeah. Good. Now listen to me. For once, will you listen to me? Don't I always listen, Lieutenant. Okay. There's some kind of crazy killer loose, right? Right. And he's mixed up with that Abner Reed snatch, right? Right as rain, Lieutenant. And you're still unfinished business on his list, right? Right as a real downpour. So go home, go home and lock the door. You stay there. Now, what are you going to do in the meantime? I'm going to work at my trade. But I'll come up and see you, Pete, as soon as I get loose from all this, and then we'll knock it around some more. But don't open your door to anybody but me.
2: So you go home You're a good little boy And you've listened to Papa You sit around like an old lady with lumbago But you sit You do some home cooking And some home drinking But you sit Finally at two in the morning Who is it?
6: Louis Parker
2: oh. Bit of the cup
6: that cheers, Lieutenant? Yeah, I can use a little cheer
2: There
6: you are. Thank you it's the right spot. Well, look, let's get down to cases, Lieutenant. Ah, there's my boy. Always in there pitching. Cases, Louie. Well, Petey boy, that gun on the floor was the murder gun. Good. And we've got a gorgeous set of fingerprints off it. Only prints it, as a matter of fact. Good. So, now we come to the catch. There's got to be a catch. The prints match nothing that we've got on file. Don't match anything out of Washington. Where's that leave us? Way out in left field on a rainy day, but there's no ball game. Guess who is her boyfriend? Guess who whose boyfriend? The dead doll... That's Sandra Mantell. Oh, by the way, you know what her business was? I don't know nothing. Pooch dancer, burlesque, pretty good attitude. I'm thrilled. Now, who's the boyfriend? Nikki Darrow. What? Nikki Darrow.
2: Oh, that was a rhetorical what, Lieutenant. It was a what of amazement, a what of astonishment,
6: a what of shock. Okay, all right, stop picking on me. Nikki Darrow, huh? Well, don't you call that a lead? We had him in, mean, we questioned him, we did the fingerprint bit. Total reaction negative. We had to release him. What time is it? It's, uh, 2.30 in the morning. Let's get out of here. Out. Where are you going? Work. You? I'm going to sleep. Pete. Yes, Lieutenant. Be careful.
2: Nicky Darrow. A hoodlum with big ideas. Ex-gunman, ex-con, ex-crook. Gone real respectable now. Owner of a fancy saloon caterer to cafe society, big wheel with the theatrical folk. But way down deep under, deadly is a two-headed rattlesnake bent on mischief. You get to Nick's place, which is hopping, and you jostle through the happy people to Nick.
6: Well, the private eyeball, long time no seesaw.
2: Can I talk to you, Nicky? Sure, talking with you, Nicky's liable to get educated. (laughs) He's big, he's arrogant, he's power drunk. He leads you through to the back, and he sits you down.
6: There you are, palzo. Real nice and comfortable. Have a drink, huh? At the house. Okay? Thanks, Nicky. Waiter. Couple of drinks
9: here. Scotch for the eyeball. That's his drink, Scotch.
6: Was it
2: tickling, your pal? That kind of tickling, you can die laughing. What are you talking about? Bullets. You are my back, Nicky.
9: Me, I don't even know what you're beginning to think you want to talk about.
2: Somebody's blowing spitballs at me, Nicky. Any idea who?
9: No, sir. I got no idea. No how.
2: Good enough. Now we shift the gear. Girlfriend of yours died today of unnatural causes. Yeah, so I hear. Any ideas on that? Like uh, who done it? No, but I'm gonna find out, pal. This is one time I'm working on your side. Okay. Now we shift to high. You're beginning to stick your dirty mitts into kidnapping, too? Talk nice to Nicky. I talk the way I want to talk, to whom I want to talk.
6: Mm. <laughs> You're a sweetheart kind of guy, a lot of guts. I like a guy with a lot of guts. The answer is no. No to what? Have a little sense, fell. The snatch racket is out for any guy with brains. There's easier ways to turn a buck.
2: That's all. Fine now, Nicky. Live it up. Have fun, big shot. Hey, there's drinks coming. We'll skip it this trip. So you're back where you started, fresh out of Leeds. And it goes on like that for the next few days. Long days, lumpy ones, slow moving. And you're wearing your hardware and you're turning to look over your shoulder wherever you are. You've called on Betty Royal a few times and you like that. You like that very much. And now you're calling on her again for no reason at all except uh, that you like that very much. But you find her breathless with excitement.
8: I found something, Mr. Chambers. I think it could be important. Pete,
2: Pete, not Mr. Chambers. Pete, remember? <laughs> yes,
8: Peter. A little black book. It belongs to. Well, it belonged to Sandra. She must have put it into my bag by mistake, and that bag's been in my locker at rehearsal hall.
2: Let's see it. <laughs> A little black book with a lot of names and not one that means anything to you. But they may mean a lot to Parker. So you latch on to the lovely Betty Royal, who's as lovely and as regal as her name, and off you go, a chattering twosome, downtown to police headquarters, downtown to Detective Lieutenant Parker. And you barge in without knocking because you think you've got right. Only to find that he's got company, so you start backing out again.
6: Come in, come in, Pete. Miss Royal.
2: Thank you kindly, Governor. Thank you. Companies, a tall young man with a bruise's shoulders and an angel's face.
8: Lieutenant Parker, I found a little black book. I found it in my locker. It, it, it doesn't belong to me. It's mistaken uh, listen, bags. It's, it's Sandra's. Sa- Sandra Mansell's. This, uh, this I've, I've... is the
2: little black book, Lieutenant. <sighs> yes. Prattling is God's given right to a beautiful girl.
6: Well, thank you, Peter. Uh, by the way, let me introduce Abner Reed. I don't think you two have ever met... Uh, Abner Reed, Peter Chambers, Miss Betty Royal.
2: Oh, how, how do
6: you do? How do you do? I don't know you. Well, Lieutenant, as we were saying... Wait a minute, the wait a minute. What did
2: you say your name was? I just told you. I'm asking him. Well, on, fella, keep talking. What did you say your name was? My name? As the Lieutenant told you, Abner Reed. Abner Reed, of course. You jump him right away. You don't wait. He's big and you want the first punch. And you get the first punch in, but he takes it standing up and lets through a few of his own. All right,
6: stop it. Break
2: it up. What the devil's going on here? You slip by a couple of his lefts, and then he's wide open, and you come up with one off the floor, and he catches it clean on the button. And now he's
6: down and out, and he'll stay out until someone brings him to. Crazy, man. That's assault and battery. You're going to do time, fella. Boy, you really flipped your wig this time.
2: Here, let me help you. Stay him. away from him. Now, look, look, Peter. you and I, Lieutenant, we've thrown a lot of questions around. There's a couple of answers coming up right now. Like what? Like why I was shot at at the graveyard. And shot up in my apartment. Like why Sandra Mantell was killed. Like why she called me in the first place. Like why that gun has fingerprints. Easy, easy, easy. One at a time. Oh, huh? let's take the last one first. Fingerprints on a gun. Yeah. A guy dropping it when he collides with a dame. Panicking, running out, leaving it there. Does that sound professional? Not especially. Well, a rule's out a pro. What does a rule in? An amateur. So? So let's do it right side up now. Now, here's a guy, Abner Reed. He married a large hunk of dough. But he can't reach too much of it because she's frugal. So? So at the suggestion of a friend of his, Miss Sandra Mantell, and you'll find, I'm sure, with a good deal of digging, that those two had a close sub rosa association. Well, never mind what
6: I'll find out. Let's get this over with first.
2: On her suggestion, they figured out a beauty. The guy kidnapped himself. Remember Mrs. Reed talked in the alleged ransom discussions to nobody but him on the phone? Yes, yeah. He knew the old
6: dame. She'd pay and play ball, which she did.
8: But why? Why were you attacked there in the cemetery?
6: Because Reed didn't want any remnants hanging around. But, Pete, how did you tab him so quick? He never bothered to disguise his voice in the graveyard. He figured to leave me there for dead, and this was the first time I've heard it since. So he punches bullets at you in your apartment, and that time he almost made it.
8: And then, then when when he wouldn't abide with Sandra, she <laughs> everybody's, decided that she... everybody's
2: everybody's a detective. Although you're hundred percent right, Betty Lass, she called me, knew where to call me because she was in it from the very beginning.
6: He caught her in the act and uh, finished her off.
2: And if you will kindly use the fingers of that comatose gentleman for the purpose of making fingerprint impressions, I don't have a doubt in the world what you'll find. <laughs> And so, one hour later, Abner Reed is booked for murder and extortion. And you're strolling in the joyful sunshine with Betty Royal clinging to your arm tightly and proudly. And what prettier termination can there be to so unfortunate a circumstance as murder?
1: And there you've had Crime and Peter Chambers. Dane Clark was starred as Peter Chambers. Crime and Peter Chambers, transcribed, was created, produced, and written by Henry Kane. Others in the cast were Bill Zuckert, heard as Lieutenant Parker, with Evelyn Barden, Patricia Wheel, and Roger DeCoven. It was directed by Fred Way. This is Fred Collins inviting you to tune in next week, same time, same station, for Dane Clark in Crime and Peter Chambers. Chambers. Created by Henry King, transcribed and starring Dane Clark. A private investigator duly licensed and duly sworn. Peter Chambers.
2: You're a private eye. That's your business. Anything else, that's for laughs. It's one of those dark brown nights, dirty with rain. You're home and you're doing calisthenics with a scotch bottle. It isn't so much that you enjoy a drink, but after all, you're a private eye. You might get waved out of the league if you didn't keep in practice. You're contemplating a warm shower and an early go to bed when... Mr. Chambers. Peter Chambers. At your service, ma'am. If it's service you want. Oh, I'm glad.
10: I'm so glad I was able to reach you.
2: Oh, I'm glad you're glad, lady. What is it, please? My
10: name is Doyle. Mary Doyle. I own a rooming house at 801 West 53rd.
2: That's quite near.
10: Perhaps ten minutes from where you are. Now, look, Mr. Chambers, it's kind kind of a bodyguard job for tonight.
2: Tonight? Oh, lady, it's murder tonight. It's pouring rain. I know it,
10: sir, but this is... It's kind of an emergency, sir. Oh,
2: it better be. $100,000 in cash.
10: She's
7: got $100,000 up
2: there. Oh! Hello? Hello? A fine night to be making a house call, but emergency, the lady said, and it certainly sounded like the emergency had bust wide open. So... You're fighting the rain, making tracks for a rooming house at 801 West 53rd. And then you're there. And you shove at the buzzer. And you get no answer. And you turn the knob. And you're inside. Inside is a spacious downstairs room. A flight of steps going up. There's a phone on a corner table and its receiver is dangling. And there's a lady seated in front of it. About 40. Red haired, buxom, quite attractive if uh, you're thinking in large terms. She's wearing silk lounging pajamas with shoes to match, and she's out like the proverbial light. You go to her quickly and you slap her back uh, to life. Uh, uh,
7: uh,
2: All no, right, there. No, come on. Stop, come on. Stop. Easy, does it, lady? Uh, you coming around now? Oh, All right?
10: Yeah. Oh, somebody slugged me, but good.
2: Miss Doyle? Or uh, is it, Miss Doyle?
10: Yeah, Miss Doyle. You, who are you? What are you doing here? Who are you?
2: Peter Chambers. You were talking to me on the phone. Oh,
10: good. Look, I'll be with you in a moment. Wait Please a don't go hey. away.
2: Now, here's a new gimmick. You find an unconscious woman, and when you bring her round, she shoots off like a rocket. Come, Mardi Gras. Well... <laughs> Screams to a private detective are like spurs to a racehorse. You fly up the stairs and you find Mary Doyle in a room with an open door. And there's a lady on the floor, quite rigid. And near her, a small instrument of large consequence, a nickel plated revolver.
10: Dead. She's dead. They shot her. There's the gun. Don't
2: touch that. But the gun. Just leave that lie. Now, what's all this about? Just a minute. Well, what are you looking for now? A
10: little black bag.
2: A little black bag. What's that got to do with this whole? There's
10: hundred thousand dollars in it, cash money, and it's gone.
2: Look one thing at a time, lady. Who's the uh, corpus delicti?
10: Algadino. And who that? An opera singer, Middly. She was here in this country for a year.
2: Oh, Algadino, mm, great soprano. What was she doing here?
10: Uh, she didn't like hotels. I run a very correct theatrical boarding house here. The best.
2: How will good deal.
10: We were good friends.
2: Look, you better go downstairs and call the cops, and you and I, we'll pick it up after that.
10: All right. All right, sir, whatever you say.
2: So now you go for the gun, only you lift it with a pinky through the trigger guard. But all your careful care is wasted because there's an interruption slightly from mayhem and the mayhem is directed at you. Get off!
9: All right, people. You still got the gun. You got me with my hands up in the air. So what's our next move?
2: What are you doing here? What kind of a boarding house is this anyway?
9: Well, let me tell you. I'm sure I can come up with a good answer if I think about it.
2: (gasps) And now you get another interruption, but this one's of the opposite gender. She stands in the doorway, blue-eyed, red-lipped, blonde and statuesque. And you'd be wildly interested if it weren't for uh, a slight matter of murder.
10: You with a gun? What's between you and Mr. Brown? Who
2: uh, wants to know?
10: My name is Joan Bradley
2: Well, i do a low bow, Miss Bradley Except I've got to keep the gun pointed at our friend here
10: At Mr.
9: Brown?
2: Well, Mr. Brown to you, maybe Bill Cragg to me, a hood from Louisiana Hiding out from a grand jury investigation
9: Mr. Brown? Just a little misunderstanding Never mind him
2: Now take a look at this, Miss <gasps>
10: Olga Olga Dino
2: Very dead and very murdered
10: No You live here? Yes, sir What do you do? I'm a lady magician.
2: Uh, who else lives here?
10: Mr. Brown, Olga, Ralph Hardwood, me, and Miss Doyle. At
2: that all in the entire house? It's being renovated.
10: Well, that's all she could accommodate at this time.
2: Okay, now my name is Peter Chambers, and right now I'm in charge here.
10: Yes, Mr. Chambers.
2: Is Ralph Hardwood at home?
10: Well, yes, he is.
2: All right, then, my dear lady magician, a favor, please? Yes. Make yourself disappear. And tell Mr. Hardwick to stay in his room, and you, you stay in yours. We'll come to you in due course.
10: All right, sir, if you say so.
2: And now you're alone again with a corpse and Mr. Bill Cragg, sporting around under the name of Brown in a theatrical boarding house in New York. Bill Cragg, tall, rugged, shrewd, and rotten as a wormy
9: apple. Any questions, paper?
2: Oh, a lot of them, pal. Well,
9: as you know, I'm hiding out from a little uh, heat in New Orleans. Hm. So I'm here as Bill Brown, retired actor. That's a
2: crime? I don't know. Maybe it ain't. But what's with jumping me and tussling for that gun?
9: Simple. It's my
2: gun. Hey, that's a pretty frantic admission for a wise guy. That figures to be
9: the heater that deheated heated our lady here. I got the same figure. So? It's my gun, Period. Took a look at my suitcase a couple of minutes ago. My gun was lifted. And I'm coming down past this open door, see the dead dame, see you with a gun, and it begins to add. Maybe I lost my head. But I can't use trouble, brother. And how I can't use trouble. Where were you this evening? Took in a movie. Lousy one. Cops and robbers. When would you get back? About a half an hour ago. Ask Miss Doyle. I called down for coffee maybe five minutes after I got in. You know anything about a little black bag? Yeah, sure. You know what was in it? A hundred thousand cash bucks. How do you know? Everybody in this house knows. Look, Bill, you didn't kill this dame, did you? No. But I got a hunch that whoever did used my gun to make it look like I did. Uh, this, uh. Joan Bradley, did she
2: know about that little black bag? I told you, everybody knows. What am I wasting my time with you for? I can get the same information and she's prettier. It's your time, people. You get Bill Cragg back to his room, admonish him that a run-out powder would be a clean admission of guilt, and then you mosey along to Miss Joan Bradley, who keeps growing on you by leaps and bounds.
10: Come in, Mr. Chambers. Make yourself at home.
2: Hey, you're awfully pretty. I wish I had the time. So do I. Really?
10: Well, you're sort of pretty yourself.
2: Well, let's make a date, then. For when? As soon as this thing is over.
10: You twisted my arm, Mr. Chambers. I sort of like the way you twist arms.
2: (laughs) Okay, then. Let's uh, get back to cases. What's with a little black bag?
10: Oh, well, we were talking about it at dinner today, all of us. Where? Here, downstairs. Miss Doyle was serving. All right,
2: all right. Let's have it, huh?
10: Well, it begins with Algadino. Fine, sweet woman. About how old? Oh, about 45. She had $100,000 in a vault, and tomorrow morning at 9, she was taking the ship to return to Italy. They were going to be married on board they?
2: ship. They? Who's the, uh, They?
10: Olga and Ralph Hardwood. Same
2: guy that lives here?
10: Yeah, they met here. Young English actor. So? So, she drew the money out of the vault today. She was taking it with her, and she had it in that little black bag.
2: Everybody in the house knew about it?
10: That was Olga, sweet and trusting. That was the way she was. Never had a bad word for anybody, never a, a bad thought. She felt that the money was just as safe here as in the bank vault, but... Mary, Miss Doyle, kept after her all day. Kept
2: after her how?
10: Well, Mary Doyle insisted that i go hire somebody, sort of a custodian, bodyguard, somebody properly trained and equipped to, to act as custodian until tomorrow morning when they got to the ship. She kept after her all day.
2: Uh, and by nighttime, she probably convinced her. M- meaning what? Meaning me.
6: I-, I don't understand. It'll be
2: explained to you. There'll be lots of cops here Please. shortly. Uh-huh.
6: Pete Chambers, come on down here. <laughs>
2: Downstairs, the place is crawling with cops. Detective Lieutenant Louis Parker, friend and gentleman, is in charge. Louis is involved in the interrogation of Miss Mary Doyle and a fine-looking young man who turns out to be Ralph Harwood. You turn the gun over to Louis, and you bring him up to date on your end of the affair, and then he returns to his questioning.
6: Well, two things we got established definitely. The dame is dead, and that bag of loot ain't in the house. That's definite. Now, you, Hardwood. Yes, Lieutenant. That Algodino was 15 years older than you. Was it love or was it money? Love, Lieutenant. With the dame 15 years older than you? Oh, she was younger than any of us, Lieutenant. All right, with the Lieutenant. Let's not make with the metaphors, huh? Were you out of the house tonight? Yes,
9: Lieutenant. I was visiting my sister. Got back about three quarters of an hour ago. After the rain started?
6: Yes, sir, after the rain started. Miss Doyle? Yes, Lieutenant. What about that Joan Bradley? Was she out too?
10: Uh, she was at a rehearsal. She returned about 15 minutes before I called Mr. Chambers.
6: Everybody was out in the rain tonight, huh? Except me. Mm. You sure there were no strangers around here?
10: Very sure. I wasn't out of the house for a minute.
6: Cassidy, get the rest of them down here. Soon the whole quorum will be gathered. Uh, Pete, come over here. You and me alone. So, what do you make of it? I don't make a thing yet, Lieutenant. Crazy artists carrying their loot in a bag, begging to get knocked off. It figures that Bill Craig's gun was a weapon. Oh, I'm sure of that. Three bullets out of the gun, three in the dame, but uh, he's already produced a license for it, so don't give us no office to hold him. Yet.
2: You think he'd kill for a hundred Gs? You know, he's pretty much of a big shot.
6: Never tell with them, any of them.
2: Well, how do you make it?
6: Well, the facts we've got, Mary Doyle is calling you. But somebody doesn't want a bodyguard around. So she gets conked on the cranium, put out of commission. Then that Olga gets knocked off and the bag of loot is stolen. Gets taken out of the house. Our murderer returns before Miss Doyle recovers consciousness, joins the rest of the boys and the girls. Yep. Then you show up and the deal busts wide open. Uh, there's the rest of them. Yeah. Let me go and make a speech. Speech away, Lieutenant. All right, ladies and gentlemen, I'm going downtown to the lab to see what the science boys may have dug out for me, but my cops stay here. Is that understood? Right. Uh, sure. sure Lieutenant. Yes, Lieutenant. All right, nobody leaves. It's clear. Uh, what about me, Lieutenant? <laughs> sooner you leave, the less trouble we're likely to get into. Now, now, Lieutenant, you're beginning to sound like a uh, Lieutenant. <laughs> no objection to my mosing around a little, is there? No objection, provided you report your findings to Papa, and I'm Papa. Yes, sir, Papa. Well, bye now, everybody. Try to act like good little murderers.
2: Well, now, the first step in the mosing around apartment. Anybody uh, hear the shot? Oh, that would have been quite impossible, Mr. Chambers. How do you know my name? Miss Doyle told me. Now, let Miss Doyle tell the rest. Why would it be impossible to hear a shot, Miss Doyle?
10: Because I've been soundproofing the house. It's a theatrical boarding house. You yes, see. yes,
2: yes, yes. Step number two, are all of you dressed as you've been dressed, say, for the last couple of hours? Yes,
9: well, yes, of course. Of course, of course we, we are.
2: are. Oh, good. Now, step number three, get your shoes off. All of you.
9: Oh, really? Well, now, look here, old man. It's a rather oh, high-handed
2: procedure, don't you Shoes see? off, all of you. Under the supervision oh, of the good fair. officer here, Mr. Cassidy. Now, come on, come on. Off, 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 off there. And lay them there on the table. Good, that's good, very good.
9: And what now, sir?
2: And now you all go upstairs, each of you to your respective room. Come on, come on, off you go, my barefooted brigade.
9: Come on, let's go, let's go. Really, a most high-handed procedure.
2: And so, under the rather astonished eyes of Parker's policemen, you do the old Sherlock. You examine the shoes... You feel them, you touch them, you bend them, and you put them back. Then you wriggle into your raincoat and you wave goodbye to the and gentlemen of the law. See you around, fellas, and remember the lieutenant's orders. Nobody comes, nobody goes, except me. And now you're walking in the rain, trying to think. An idea is beginning to glimmer in your mind, and you're waiting for it to catch fire. And a block away, you see a subway station. And a fire in your head has started. You jog down the subway steps. But you're not going anywhere. You've got no train to catch. And downstairs, you see an object of interest. A tall section of public lockers. You go near and insert your dime. But you don't check a thing. Then you prance up the stairs and you make for the nearest tavern and a couple of drinks, but this time they have a purpose to ward off pneumonia because you're wet through and through. And then you're back in the boarding house and you're greeted. Well, 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 the return of Sherlock Holmes. Parker's got them all downstairs again, but none of them are wearing their shoes yet.
6: <laughs> My orders. Look, my dear friend, I like my murder suspects wearing shoes, if it's all right with you. It's not all right with me, not yet, Lieutenant. Boy, when a private eye goes nuts, it's a matter for the paddy wagon. Look, I'm just trying to put two and two together, Lude. You certainly got a crazy way of adding, boy. I'm attempting to produce the murder of Al Godino. Well, produce away, way, Detective. Pray don't let me interrupt. Well, sir, first off... We've got motive. 100,000 motives, all green, and all stuffed into a little black bag. Right. Also, we've got a small but select group. Granted. So when do we produce some earth? Gently,
2: Lieutenant. Gently.
6: Gently. Come here. Dig these shoes. Jay, I'm a hipster. I dig these shoes. The most. <laughs> Notice... They're all damp. What did you expect them to be? Dry? It's pouring out, remember? Contain yourself, Lieutenant. I, I am contained.
2: All right, let's get back to the beginning. Mary Doyle called me on the phone. Purpose? To protect Algadino's little black bag.
6: Yeah, and the killer heard her and had to act fast. He slugged her, then knocked off the opera singer, then clipped the bag all before you got here. How long did it take?
2: About ten minutes.
6: Okay, so, uh, what's with the damp shoes? Joan Bradley's figured to
2: be damp.
9: And mine, didn't they? Didn't mine? Why, Why don't you... To... No, 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 down. he's
2: right, Lieutenant. His figured to be damp, too. And so did Bill Craggs. They were all out in the rain. But not Mary Doyle. What? You weren't out of the house. Were you, Miss Doyle? That's what you told the Lieutenant, remember? Not for a minute, not you.
10: What are you trying to say?
2: I'm asking you to explain why were your shoes wet. Now, look, you.
10: You're not going to push me around with your smart-aleck private cop politics. Maybe the shoes are wet. So what? I got a leaky pipe in the kitchen. The floor is damp. Oh, that's a hot one. Explanations for wet shoes. Look, Look, your shoes
6: are wet from the rain. That's a lie. Were you out in the rain, Miss Doyle?
10: Absolutely not.
6: Oh, yes, she was. Can you prove it, Pete? Certainly I can prove it. But she's the one that called you. The one who was most worried about that opera singer and her loot. Strictly a cover-up, Lieutenant. Let me do a
2: right-side-up for you. First, she knocked off Algadino up there with the door
6: closed in the soundproof room. And then she called me. Lie, lie, lie! Now, either you be good, lady, or I'm going to have to put you under restraint. Let me get you straight, Pete. According to you, she sort of conked herself on the head. You found her like that, supposed to be uncut. And she made sure to leave the outside door unlocked so I could get in. And you got here during that ten-minute period from the time she called? That's when she got her shoesies all wet.
11: You're going to
10: have to prove those statements, Mr. Wise Guy, because I'm going to sue you. I'm going to drag you into court and teach you a lesson. It's about time one of you guys got a shut lesson. Shut
6: up, lady. Will you please shut up? Now, wait a minute, Pete. About the shoes. She could have changed them, couldn't she? No, no, she couldn't. They're lounging shoes that go with her outfit. If she changed
2: her shoes, she'd have to change the entire getup. She simply didn't have the time. Remember? Ten minutes. So? So she wiped the shoes as best she could, which left them damp. Yeah. She had to work fast in those ten minutes. While you were down in the lab with your bright boys, Lieutenant, I was out in the rain figuring angles. What did you come up with? A subway station. What? There's a subway station a block from here. Downstairs, they've got a flock of those dime parcel check boxes. Now, that figured to be the closest drop. Remember, she was in a hurry, so she checked the little black bag. That's a lie.
10: Oh. Check boxes have little keys. I've got no key. Search me. Search the house.
2: There'd be no key here.
10: <sighs> Backing down, huh? Figured I'd break down under your phony third you degree. You want to know why? Why what?
2: Why there's no key here?
10: Yeah. Why? Tell me
7: why.
2: Because I've got it. See, right here, in my hand. What the heck is all this about? That... She used the oldest gag in the world. Probably thought it was new because she dreamed it up. They all do.
6: Who all do?
2: Amateur criminals. Sure she didn't keep the check key on a person. Too risky. Instead, she put it in an envelope and she mailed it to herself. The old mailer rule. It's a lie. Miss Doyle, you made one mistake. Under certain circumstances, mail can be intercepted. And that's exactly what's been done. You see this key? That's the final bit of evidence that's going to fasten you to the electric chair for murder. The rest is easy. A bit of expert prodding from Parker, and she breaks down, and they cart her away. The police open that panel of lockers and find a little black bag. Downtown, she confesses that she mailed the check key to herself, care of an aunt in Brooklyn. And one hour later, yeah. you and Miss Joan Bradley are at your place, munching corned beef sandwiches and drinking beer. You've kissed her a couple of times, but you've gotten very little response. So, you ask why.
10: Because when my mind is troubled, I can't concentrate on kissing.
2: But, uh, what's troubling you?
10: That malarkey about intercepting the United States mail.
2: <laughs> malarkey is precisely correct. Mary Doyle was a type who would fight back until you had her convinced. Even if they found a bag in that locker, they still have to tie it up with her. So I had to dream up a ruse to convince her. But
10: where'd you get the key?
2: That wasn't the key. It was a key, but of exactly the same type, out of exactly the same group of check boxes. I went there, I paid a dime, I checked nothing, and came away with the convincer.
10: <laughs> Very good. Very good indeed. Thank you. <laughs> And for all that work, not even a fee.
2: Well, everything isn't measured in dollars, my sweet.
10: (laughs) You've got all the right answers. Come here. Mm.
2: Your mind still troubled?
10: No, sir. Not a trouble in the world.
2: Can you concentrate now?
10: (laughs) Try. Find out. Uh.
2: Mm. Mm. Pete. One Quiet, thick. please. Man of work.
1: And there you've had Crime and Peter Chambers. Dane Clark was starred as Peter Chambers. Crime and Peter Chambers transcribed was created and written by Henry Kane. Bill Zuckert was heard as Lieutenant Parker with Brian Rayburn and William Griffiths. It was directed by Fred Way. And this is Fred Collins inviting you to tune in next week, same time, same station, for Dane Clark in Crime and Peter Chambers. <laughs> Peter Chambers, created by Henry Kane, transcribed and starring Dane Clark, private investigator, duly licensed and duly sworn, Peter Chambers. You're a private eye.
2: That's your business. Anything else, that's for laughs. This one figures for a lot of laughs, and you're being paid for it, which adds a rare quality to the laughter. You're at the apartment of a jeweler, George Reiner, and you're being invited to a masquerade party at the Riverdale mansion of a famous, or uh, is it infamous millionaire, Robbie Tamville. And who hasn't heard of Robbie Tamville?
0: And uh, I'd like you to get there before I do, Mr. Chambers. All the arrangements have been made. Uh, uh, what will you wear?
2: I don't quite know, Mr. Reiner. You've <laughs> sprung this on me uh, rather quick-like.
0: Oh, man of your resourcefulness. Come now, Mr. Chambers. Uh, think of your reputation. Uh,
2: yeah, I'm thinking.
0: Tonight, 8 o'clock.
2: Well, let me see now. Well, I've got an idea. Something oh. that's never been done before. Yes. Uh, pirate's costume. Good. No patch over the eye.
0: Very good. And just so that I'll be sure, don't wear a sword. Then I'll know for certain that you're my pirate.
2: Okay, Mr. Reiner, I'll be your pirate. No cutlass, no patch. Mm. Now, let's get
0: back to the business end of the deal, please. Uh, Well, sir, you've heard of the Opal of Ramses? Opal? Well, yes. Owned by King Ramses and a priceless objet d'art. Only wasn't it supposed to have brought hard luck to this ancient Egyptian
2: king and hard luck to everyone that's owned it since it was dug up? Oh, sure, Mr. Chambers. Superstition. Pure, baseless superstition. So how come Robbie Tamville is so anxious to get rid of it?
0: Well, he's had a run of bad luck. Now that it is offered for sale, I have the opportunity to purchase
2: it. Yeah, you and this, uh, uh what's his name? Uh, William Zuckel. And good old eccentric Tamville makes it a bidding contest between you and this, uh, William Zucco. Um,
0: I'm to come dressed as a clown. There, there's the costume. Do you like it?
2: Yeah, it's peachy. Uh,
0: William Zucco is coming dressed as a Persian prince.
2: Anyway, one way or another, tonight, Robbie Tambell gets rid of the ring.
0: Yes, he'll have the opal there tonight at the party. Uh, uh, first, he'll interview Zucco, and then he'll interview me. Whoever bids highest, that one gets the ring. There'll be contracts to sign, and then the cash is to be deposited with his bankers tomorrow. Uh, how much is that thing worth? Oh, about a quarter of a million, I know a collector right now who'd pay 200000 And my job? To accompany me back to town as bodyguard. And to remain with me as custodian of the Opal until I can reach my office tomorrow and where proper transferals of insurance can be executed.
2: Hmm. Okay, I'll see you tonight. I'll be there, Petey the Pirate. Afternoon, Mr. Reiner.
0: And remember, you know the costume. I'm The Clown. <laughs>
2: So, that evening, you're living it up amongst the swells. Everybody's wearing masks and everybody's wearing costumes, but your client, the clown, hasn't shown up yet. Meanwhile, you've latched on to a female with a lush and lovely figure, incongruously attired as a witch. You've danced, you've chortled, you've chuckled, but now you're dying of curiosity. So you waltz her off to a corner.
12: (laughs) Yes, my dashing buccaneer... Pray, what wish you of the witch?
2: Unmask a witch, else this pirate walks the plank. If anything as prosaic as a plank can be found in this diamond-studded shack.
12: Will you unmask, too? Because I'm just bursting with curiosity.
2: You take your mask off and she follows suit, and, brother, you've hit the jackpot. Blue eyes, tiny nose, dimples, and a wicked little smile that just verges on being seductive. Like... (laughs) Oh, I love.
12: Good. Because I like what I see, too. So, let's get acquainted. My name is Patricia Holmes.
2: Uh, Peter Chambers. What do you do? Well, I'm a detective of sorts.
12: Detective? How very interesting. Yes. You look like an actor. A leading man type, you know.
2: Yeah, and you like an ingenue. Say, what do you do?
12: I'm a doctor. A doctor.
2: <laughs> Well, now.
12: Disappointed? Oh, I'm
2: flabbergasted.
12: For further information, over 21 and unmarried, specialized in fluoroscopy and x-ray.
2: Uh, look, Doc, I I got a small pain that hurts me here, see?
12: (laughs) I conduct my examinations at my office.
2: Oh, I'd love to visit.
12: You may at that. I combine my office and my apartment. 441 Park. I uh, didn't take my car. I was driven here by a group of friends. So if you've a car here... I have. Well, Mr. Chambers, after this party, I'd admire to have you take me home.
2: And there isn't a thing in the world that I'd admire more, doctor.
12: (laughs) Well, thank you.
2: But all the while you're talking, some joker's jostling you from the rear. True enough, the joint is crowded, but that crowded it ain't. And finally, you whirl on the guy who's wearing the toga of a Roman senator. Oh,
6: I'm sorry, Mac. It's a little crowded now here. Now, wait a minute, buster. It's not that crowded, so take <laughs> a little... hey. Real sensitive, uh, dear old private optica. Hey. <laughs> Is hey. it because he's engaged in conversation with so beautiful a damn Louis, Louie! Louie Parker!
7: <laughs>
2: Detective Lieutenant Louie Parker, New York City Police Department. Fine cop, good companion, and great friend. You introduce him to the lady
6: good to know you miss home
12: likewise lieutenant.
6: hey what are you doing here Louis? well i got a hunch it approximates your reason for being here oh i'd uh, like to talk to you pete uh, if
2: uh... <laughs> that miss home means that the courteous lieutenant would like to talk to me alone but in the circumstances he finds it difficult to express
6: your beauty miss home <laughs> makes it even more difficult. hey hey <laughs> listen you like most
12: gallant <laughs> lieutenant if you promise not to keep Mr. Chambers away too long.
6: I promise.
12: Good enough, then. I'll see you later.
6: Isn't she cute, Louis? Now, listen, Pete.
12: I'll tell
6: you why I'm here.
2: Develops Tamville isn't too eccentric after all. But with carrying that opal ring around on his person, he invites Parker to his party so as he can have some law and order around the house just in case. You give Louis the
6: dope on why you're present. Which means that outside of you and me and Tamville, the only ones who know that this ring is here tonight are George Reiner and this William Zucco. That's straight from the horse's mouth, which is Tamville. Now, Pete... Hey, look. You look and you see the Persian prince strolling out of the garden.
2: He looks hot, and he's taking off his mask.
6: Let's go join him, Petey, just for the heck of it, huh? Yeah, it's cooler out there. Uh Uh-uh, mustn't forget the bottle. No, we mustn't. (laughs) This is Parker's night for relaxation.
2: You bring a bottle and three glasses out to a table in the garden. The Persian prince is nearby, mask off. You call him over, introduce him, and offer a drink. William Zucco is a tall guy whose black eyes give off about as much expression as a couple of shuttered windows in an empty house. You're about to hand him his glass when it slips to the ground. Well, you can't hand a Persian prince a dirty glass, so you pick it up, wipe it clean with a handkerchief, and you try again. Then you pour for the three of you, and you all drink.
3: Ah... Ah, uh, good. That uh, hits the spot, as they say. Thank you, Mr. Chambers. Would you like another, as they say? Oh, no, 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 no. Thank you. You know, uh, you look real right
2: handsome as a Persian prince, Mrs. Zucco. Oh,
3: no, no, no. Not really. That was uh, Robbie Tamville's idea. And you don't cross Tamville, not when you intend to do a little business with him.
6: Ah? Uh, you, uh, intending to do business with Mr. Tamville?
3: Well, uh, yes. I think so.
2: Just then, a butler comes out and tells Zucko that Tambell is ready to see him. You all go back into the house, and the butler opens an oak door for William Zucko. You can see inside. It's a big room with wide French windows on the far side opening to another garden. Tambell's inside the only guy at the party not in costume. Zucko goes in, and the door closes. You lose Parker, and you find Patricia home again, and you keep her with you. And finally, Zucko comes out and goes up a flight of stairs, and then, not five minutes later, your client, the clown, appears. You wave to him, but he doesn't wave back. He proceeds directly to the oak door, goes in, and then... The shots are from Tamville's room, and you and Parker bust in there fast. The French windows are wide open. There's no one in the room except Tamville,
6: and he's very dead. All right. All right, everybody out of here. I'm Detective Parker. Police now. Get them out, please. Everybody out. Come on. You stick around, Petey. Out, out. That's right. Out. Nice, huh? Yeah. Real nice. Whoever pulled it, beat it through those French windows. But the guns here... You pick it up with the pencils with the trigger guard, like so. Hey, Pete. Huh? Take a look. That barrel, look at the scratches. Fresh ones. Yeah. Hey,
2: looks like there was a silencer on that barrel, Louie, not too long ago.
6: But, say,
2: we heard the shots.
6: Yeah. Any ideas?
2: Not a one. You? Uh,
6: not on this silence a bit. But uh, I got a lot of ideas on friend murderer. Really? You saw who came in here last? Uh, uh well, yeah, yeah I, I, your I, client, that's so. The clown guy, mask and all, but the only clown at the party. Now, look, Louie, don't let's jump to conclusions. Jump the after conclusions. all, conclusions? Pete, this conclusion don't have to be jumped at. This comes up, it hits you on the jaw like a hook from Marciano. Well, let's have a look at the late Mr. Tamville.
1: Uh,
6: now, ain't on him, Pete. Motive for murder? An opal ring worth maybe a quarter of a million bucks. Missing.
2: Fifteen minutes later, the joint is jumping with cops. The search of the ground turns up uh, a clown's costume. And an idea starts to percolate in your mind. So you do a little searching, too you pick up an item which might be of unusual interest and you safely deposit it in your car. No guest is permitted to leave until he or she is thoroughly searched by an expert. And that turns up nothing, no opal ring. But the search of the guest does develop one item of importance. One guest is missing. Your client, Mr. George Reiner. Driving down in the car, there's Patricia home, there's Parker, and there's you.
6: Mr. George Reiner. Well, I'm saving him for me. No use sending anyone else. If he's skipped, he's skipped. If he's at his apartment, then he's for me, personally.
12: But why, Lieutenant? How?
6: I uh, won't go into the why, but here's the how. He bumps Tamville, cops that opal ring, goes through those French doors, gets rid of the clown costume and blows, period. Uh, I sent that gun downtown well in advance. I'm curious about the check on that Mm. beat.
2: Which means that after we drop Miss Home, we stop first at headquarters, Yes, Yeah, huh?
6: sure. Mm-hmm. Then we uh, call on Mr. Reiner.
2: Very good. Very satisfactory. What are you so happy about? Uh, just a minute.
6: What are you reaching in the glove compartment for? This. A glass. Well, what's, what's the... Handler
2: I, 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 I handle it gingerly, Lieutenant, you are going to do a fingerprint check on it. Now, one set figures to be mine. I'm very curious about the other set. Where did you get that glass? Stole it from the memento from Tambell's party. Hey, Louis, will you have that fingerprint check done for me? Sure. Petey, you insist? You deliver Patricia home and you promise to come back there to bring her up to date on developments no matter what the hour. And then you deliver Parker to headquarters and you wait in the car while he goes in with the glass. When he comes out, he's got a peculiar glint in his eye. He tells you the fingerprint checks on the glass will take some time, but that he's put a rush on it. And then he clams. And when Parker clams, he's tighter than a barfly at curfew time. And finally, you're at George Reiner's
0: apartment. Oh, Mr. Chambers, I'm so glad to see you. But Parker pushes through and
2: shoves a gun under his nose.
0: Mr. Reiner, is this your gun? Wait, uh, let me see Yes, it's my gun.
6: Well, it's nice of you to admit it, but whether you admit it or not, the serial numbers prove it's your gun. Fingerprints on it are smudges, but ballistics show this gun killed him. Now, any way you look at it, kiddo, you're up the creek. Killed? Killed home. Oh, will you look at him making with the Innocent Baby Act? Killed Robbie Tamville. Robbie Tamville? Mr. Chambers, is this true? Yep. Well, who is this man? Lieutenant Louis Parker, homicide who thought he was going to have an evening of relaxation. Do you deny that you killed him? You stole that ring, that opal from King Tut to one of those other wrapped-up mummies? Of course I deny it. Brother, you were seen to go into his room. The shots were heard. The gun was yours. The bullets from the gun killed him. The French windows were open. The clown costume was found on the grounds. You were the only guest missing. And you knew he had the opal on him. Now... Where's the
0: ring?
6: I don't have it.
2: Now, look, you don't... Wait a minute, Louie. Just a minute, just a minute
0: now. Uh,
2: Mr. Reiner, you heard the lieutenant. Yes. Do you have any explanation?
0: Well, I can only tell you what happened.
2: What did happen, Mr. Reiner?
0: Well, uh, sometime after you left, my doorbell rang. I answered it, opened the door, but there seemed to be no one there. I stuck my head out and was struck on the back of the head. Uh, That's all I remember. When I regained consciousness, I I was bound and gagged. Mm. It took me hours to untie myself. When I finally did, I looked about thinking it was a robbery, trying to see what was stolen.
6: Was anything stolen?
0: Just my clown's costume and my gun.
6: Okay, Mr. Reiner. Suppose, just for the sake of my friend here, whose client you are, suppose I try to buy your story. Now show us some proof, huh? Where's the rope that bound you, or is it wire or tape, maybe? And the gag around your mouth? I'm sorry,
0: Lieutenant. I was bound by a couple of my neckties, and the gag was one of my own handkerchiefs.
6: But I do have a bump on my head. I'm sorry, Pete. I got to take this guy downtown. You tell Parker where he can
2: reach you, and then off they go to headquarters. And off you go to Patricia Holmes' apartment. Dr. Holmes is comfortable in satin lounging pajamas. And no doctor ever looked better in lounging pajamas. You bring her up to date on your facts, and then she takes you about, showing you uh, her equipment. The fluoroscopes and the x-ray machines. And then you're settling down in a comfortable divan with a good doctor for some conversation about uh, doctoring. When...
12: Hello?
6: Peter Chambers there.
12: Just a minute. For you, Peter. Oh, thanks. Hello?
6: Here's the dope on that glass deal of yours. All right, Louis. One set of prints, yours. The other's blown to a guy, Bill Zorkalski.
2: Zukalsky. What about him?
6: Well, he's a Russian emigre. He used to work in a circus. Gate, ground, glass, nails, tacks. You know, one of those guys. He did a bid about eight years ago for assault, then disappeared. Hey. Now, look, uh, Pete, what's your interest in the guy, and who is he?
2: Look, Louis, pick up our Persian prince and bring him down here to Patricia Holmes' place and do it fast. Persian prince? William Zucco.
6: You know what you're doing, Pete?
2: Absolutely, and please, Louis, fast, huh? Half an hour later, Parker shows of William Zucko. You don't waste any time.
3: You accuse Zucco of the murder of Robbie Tamville and the theft of the opal ring. Ah, you are talking through your hat, mister. If I had that opal on me, they'd have found it. I didn't have it, and I don't have it. Oh, yes, you have. Have I? Then prove it instead of talking like a big guy and doing nothing. Talk is cheap. Proof. Prove it
2: demonstrate first step in the demonstration is to clip him under the chin and then you drag zucco to dr holmes fluoroscope and you stand him up behind it and she
6: starts the do jigger going hey i see it clear as day where through the fluoroscope thing it's in his stomach clear as day the ring with the stone in it Come on out, Pete. Take a
7: look at this. Well,
2: who, who's gonna hold him Not up? me. I'll, I'll hold, him get up. Him. hold him I got for Yeah. Sure enough, there it is. William Zucko, born Bill Zukowski, who can swallow nails and tacks and glass. Oh, what a hideaway, eh, Louis? Yeah. How can you frisk a guy when he's got the loot in his stomach? <laughs> ten minutes later, when you've convinced Zuko, or Zakalski, or whatever his
6: name is, that you've got him dead to rights, he straightens out the deal for you. Okay, so you knock out George Reiner and you clip his clown costume and his gun, huh?
3: Yes, and I bring the stuff up to Tanville's and hide it in an upstairs room. And then when you're drinking
2: with us, the butler calls you. Oh, it's a good thing I dropped your glass, because I wiped it clean with a handkerchief, which,
3: after I handed it to you... Left only my prints on it and yours. Inside, I killed him. I used a silencer on Reiner's gun. One bullet. Then I came out, went upstairs, put the clown costume over mine, went back into Tamville's room, supposedly as Reiner, took the silencer off and put three more bullets into him. Then I ran out the French doors, threw the silencer into that brook nearby, but left the clown costume on the ground.
6: Making sure to leave Reiner's gun in the room. Then
3: I came back and once more I was one of the guests. The Persian prince. The way it looked, Reiner killed him, dropped off his costume, and ran away. I thought no suspicion would attach to me. Well,
6: hey, you might have been in the clear, if not for my friend, the shamus, eh? Pete, where did you get the idea for the prince on that glass? From you.
2: Yeah, I know. From me? Well, you're the guy that told me that aside from us and Tambell himself, only two people knew about that opal being on him. Reiner and Zuko. yeah. Now, Reiner retained me and paid me a fee to act as a bodyguard when he would buy it. If he's planning robbery and murder, well, would a reasonable man do that? No, he wouldn't. Well, whom would that leave if anything happened to the opal?
6: Oh, our ex-circus bird here. Come on, pal. Oh, I'm going to have to handle you gently. After all, in a way, you're sort of a receptacle for evidence. And like that, you're pretty valuable.
2: And so, after Parker and the valuable Mr. Zucco take their departure, you and the darling Dr. Patricia Holm finally settle down to some quiet conversation and peaceful tete-a-tete.
12: Oh, you Peter Chambers, you. Oh, doctor.
9: Oh.
1: And there you've had Crime and Peter Chambers. Dane Clark was starred as Peter Chambers. Crime and Peter Chambers transcribed was created and written by Henry Kane. Others in the cast were Bill Zuckert, heard as Lieutenant Parker, Joe Boland as Reiner, and Nancy Wilder as Patricia. It was directed by Fred Way. This is Fred Collins inviting you to tune in next week, same time, same station, for Dane Clark in Crime and Peter Chambers. Crime and Peter Chambers. Chambers. Created by Henry Kane, transcribed and starring Dane Clark. Private investigator, duly licensed and duly sworn, Peter Chambers.
2: You're a private eye. That's your business. Anything else? That's for laughs. It's a lazy summer's afternoon, and you've got your feet up on the office desk. And on the other side of the desk, there's another pair of feet. The latter belonging to the illustrious Detective Lieutenant Louis Parker, homicide New York City police. Cop, gentleman, and good friend. Louis's got a day off, and he's taking a busman's holiday. He's spending it in the company of a private eye.
6: Well, let's uh, get out somewhere, huh, kiddo? A little sunshine or something? Even Coney Island?
2: Yeah, I can just visualize you and me in the tunnel of love.
6: Oh, clever. <laughs> <laughs> All right, kidding aside, Pete. Now, we, we ain't going to spend the afternoon locked in your office talking shop, are we?
2: No, no, we ain't. If I can wangle it, we're going to be seated in a deluxe box at the racetrack screaming at the oat burners.
6: Great, fine. What do you mean, uh... If you can wangle it. Did you ever hear of Rhonda Duffy? Rhonda Duffy? You mean the lady that owns Grey Dancer? Yeah. Supposed to be the best three year old in America? That's the one I mean. Certainly I've heard of her,
2: sure. Well, she's due here any minute with Jackie Johnson, her jockey.
6: Her horse is running today, ain't he? At Belmont?
2: That he is.
6: Hey, what are you doing with these society swells? Well, huh? I tell you. Come Come in!
2: Ah, Miss Duffy. How are you, Jackie? Happy.
11: And a pleasant good afternoon to you, Mr. Chamberlain. This is
2: uh, Rhonda Duffy, Mr. Jackie Johnson, this is Lieutenant Louis Parker, best policeman in the whole city. <laughs> How do you oh, to know you? Glad to you. Glad to meet you.
11: Mr. Chambers, I don't know what Jackie here wants to see you about, but I do know it's personal. Well,
6: uh, I, I, I was just oh, leaving. Oh, no,
11: please, Lieutenant. As a matter of fact, I was intending to invite Mr. Chambers to the track today. Oh. <laughs> My horse is running. Oh, thank you. <laughs> and I should love to include you, Lieutenant.
6: Well... Unless uh, you
11: have something else. No, no,
6: I I don't have a thing. I'd very much like to go.
11: Good, then suppose you and I leave now, Lieutenant. My car's downstairs. Jackie and Mr. Chambers can join us later. After they transact whatever business they have to transact.
6: That's okay by me, Mrs. Duffy.
11: (laughs) Come along, then. And and don't keep him too long, Mr. Chambers. He's riding today. I'll get him there on time. Then I'll see you later on. You know my box number. Yes, Mrs.
2: Duffy, I do. <laughs> Bye, then. Bye, Mrs. Duffy. Okay, Jackie. Where's the tight squeeze? Meaning? Meaning that when a guy wants to see a private eye, there's a tight squeeze somewhere.
5: Pete, you know Ralphie Butcher.
2: Ralphie Butcher. Hey, there can't be a tighter squeeze. What's between you and Ralphie?
5: 40,000 bucks. Wow.
2: And um, you're overdue? Yeah. Ralphie Butcher, the toughest loan shark in the city, and you're overbought to him for 40,000 bucks? How come, Jackie?
5: When you play horses, Mr. Chambers, and I play horses, you hit a bad streak sometimes, see? And brother, I really hit a bad one. I began to borrow and double up, borrow and double up, and and all of a sudden... All of a sudden,
2: you're way down deep in the hole, huh? Yeah,
5: 40 G's worth. Last night, he told me, get it up. Get it up today or else.
2: And what can I do for you, Jackie?
5: Well, I want you to call him. Can you do that for me?
2: Sure, I can call him. Only what do you want me to tell him?
5: To lay off me today. That's all. Just lay off me today. Tonight, I'll pay him. I'll pay him in full.
2: Uh, well... I think that can be arranged. Now, let me see now. Ralphie Butcher, Oregon, four, two, six. A couple of hours later, you're out in the brilliant sunshine in Rhonda Duffy's box at Belmont. Parker's there, Mrs. Duffy's there and a tall guy with a little black beard who turns out to be, of all things, an undertaker's embalmer. Mrs. Duffy introduces him to you.
11: John Butler? Peter
5: Chambers. Uh,
2: How do you do? You know, fellow, you're the first undertaker's embalmer I've ever met.
5: Really? How's business? Oh, I'm out of that now. Now I write verse for greeting cards.
2: Verse for greeting cards? Wasn't the embalming business
5: better? Uh, Yes, somewhat. Why'd you quit? Uh, my wife. Uh, somehow my wife objected to that profession. Uh, prior to that, I was a pickpocket. What did you say? Oh, no, no, no. You misunderstand. I was a pickpocket as an entertainer. Uh, you know, nightclub work, vaudeville. Oh, honey, I see. Look, go relax, Louis. Relax, <laughs> relax. Unfortunately, I was never really very lucky. Uh, pickpocket embalmer, greeting card, versifier, but uh, I'm afraid I've never averaged more than $50 a week in my life. So now you're playing the horses, huh? Oh, no, no, indeed not. Uh, This is the first time I've been to a racetrack in my life. You're kidding. Honestly. Then what brings you uh, today? Well, I'm a very good friend of Jackie Johnson. Mrs. Duffy's jockey, huh? Yes, that's right. He insisted that I come and watch him ride today, and, well, I acquiesced. Well, I've known Jackie for years and years, but this is my very first time at a race uh, I, May I uh,
6: cut in on this very interesting conversation? Louie, this J- is
2: the first time this guy's been to a race Yeah, track. yeah, Can he told me, that? Pete, take a gander. Over there. The gander discloses in the very next box, Ralphie Butcher. And seated beside him, a good-looking blonde in slacks and red blouse.
6: Mr. Butcher, big as life. Oh, do you know Mr. Butcher, Lieutenant?
2: I know him slightly.
11: Do you? Oh, yes, he owns several excellent thoroughbreds. Mr. Butcher's a banker, lends money, that sort of thing. Yeah,
2: he lends money, all right.
11: Oh, do you know him too, Mr. Chambers? I
2: know him quite well.
11: The young lady with him is Katie Adams, works for me. Great aunt's trainer.
6: She's your trainer? One of
11: the few lady trainers in the business.
6: I, um, I think I'll stroll over and pay my respects to a banker friend.
11: Uh, tell them to join us, Lieutenant.
6: All right, Mrs. Duffy. I will.
11: The next race is ours, Mr. Chambers. I'm awfully excited. Oh. See, I can't even open my bag for a cigarette. Look out for this. Oh! Oh!
2: No, easy, but... easy, does it, Mrs. Duffy? Oh, all it... you did was drop your bag.
11: Oh, but everything is scattered all over the place. Well, just relax.
2: Old Petey's oh, the best my... picker up in the business. Oh, this is such, hey, such a. Hey, what's this? A switchblade knife. Oh! How incongruous can we get? A society lady with a switch knife in her purse.
11: Oh, it isn't as bad as it looks, Mr. Chambers. The knife belongs to my trainer, Katie Adams. She comes from the West where these things are legal. She found it in her trunk today and turned it over to me. And I shall bring it to a police precinct when we get out of here. Excuse me. Where are you going, Mr. Butler? That knife frighten you?
5: No, 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 indeed. I'm just going to stretch my legs and perhaps wager the bottle, two.
11: Well, good luck.
5: Thank you. Thank you, my dear.
2: Well, how about you, Mrs. Duffy? Aren't you going to bet on your horse?
11: I've never made a wager in my life, Mr. Chambers. And in this case, it would be practically taking their money. It's only a three-horse race, and Grey Dancer has practically no competition.
2: Parker appears with Butcher and Katie Adams, and then John Butler comes back, and it's a real happy party. And pretty soon, the horses dance out on the track. And Katie Adams, Lady Trainer, is most enthusiastic.
11: Look at the gorgeous horse, that old gray dancer. Look at Jackie, sitting on him just like they were born for each other. And look at the prices on the tote board, which is just as it should be, gray dancer, one to five. Tammy K, 40 to one, and Pamela Ace, 99 to one. This one's a walkover, that's what it is. Practically
7: a walkover. There
2: But if it was a walkover, it was a walkover in reverse. Because dear old Grey Dancer came in last, absolutely last. The winner, Tammy Kay. second, Pamela Ace, and a very poor last, the one-to-five shot, Grey Dancer. The figures on the tote board show that Tammy Kay pays
6: $80, $80 for two, Wow, Well, if ever I saw a jockey throw a race, that was it. First he holds him like he's going to tear his head off, and then he he makes a grandstand play. Puts the whip to him when he hasn't got a ghost of a chance. Well, it's a good thing you don't wager, Mrs. Duffy, because...
11: Wager or not, I know when a crooked race is run, there was absolutely no excuse. Katie, I want Jackie here as soon as he's out of his silks. And if I have my way, he'll be out of his silks for good.
2: 20 minutes later, Jackie's out of his working clothes and in Mrs. Duffy's box. And he's giving off with more double talk than a stuttering ventriloquist dummy with amnesia.
5: Look, he just wouldn't run, Mrs. Duffy, that's all. I'm only a jockey, not a magician. Mrs. Duffy, I broke him last like I always do. You know he's no front runner. But when I come to make my move, he wouldn't move. You held him. You wouldn't give him his head. It was obvious to everyone, and there must be 40,000 people here. Look, Mrs. Duffy, right now there's another race, and there's a horse in it I'd like to bet on, so I'm going to make my bet. Then I'll be back here, and we'll discuss it further, and if you want to bring charges against me, it's okay with me. I'll be glad to leave it up to the stewards, but right now I'm going to make my bet.
2: There's an exodus from that box as though a plague had struck. Rhonda Duffy says she's heading for the stewards. And Katie Adams says she's heading for a bite of late lunch. The rest of them, including Parker, are heading for the sellers' windows to do what you're supposed to do at a racetrack. Bet on horses. There are 15 horses in the next race, so you do the old tic-tac-toe and you make a selection yourself. The crowd is tremendous. You push and you get pushed. And then you see another type of crowd. An excited ring of people. And when you get there, Parker's already there. Stooped over a body. And the body's that of Jackie Johnson.
6: He was in that crowd at the $50 window, and suddenly he dropped. Somebody would stuck a knife into him.
2: You helped carry him to the clubhouse, and there is definitely established. He's dead. And he was murdered. And now you and Parker are working at your trade. The knife in his back is a switch knife that was in Mrs. Duffy's bag. No question which limits our suspects to the people who had been in that box. Parker herds them all into the clubhouse and grills them. And the last one is Katie Adams.
6: Now, look, Katie, you knew Jackie pretty well. What kind of a guy was he? A no-good guy. Enemies? Plenty. Friends?
11: I'd say he had only one real friend. that Mr. Butler. You met him, John Butler. I'd say Butler was the only guy Jackie ever really trusted.
6: All right, Katie, thank you. You can go outside with the rest of them. Yeah. Pete, what do you think?
2: Well, the only ones who could have managed it were the ones who could have gotten to that knife. Mm. Mrs. Duffy, Butcher, Butler, and Katie. And we haven't got a thing on any one of them that could hold them.
6: Well, let's give it a run-through. Huh? Mrs. Duffy? Well,
2: doesn't figure for a motive. should not seem to be the kind of a person who would kill a guy just because he lost a horse race. What about Butcher? Well, it's like I told you, Louie. Jackie owed him 40 Gs. There wasn't going to be any pressure until tonight. Jackie promised to pay by then. The guy would be crazy to kill him when he has been promised the money by tonight. John Butler? According to them, he was his only friend. What reason would he have to stick a knife into him? And
6: Katie Adams?
2: No motive that I can see. Strictly a business acquaintance. Trainer of horses.
6: <sighs> Can't hold one of them. Haven't got a thing on any of them.
2: Anything else I can do here, Louie?
6: Oh, thanks, Pete. Another thing.
2: Look, you've got work to do here. I'll meet you in the paddock when you're through. Yeah, up. okay. And outside, the first guy that buttonholes you is John Butler.
5: Any developments, Mr. Chambers? No, not a one. I think I'd better call home. Uh Oh? My my wife hasn't been feeling well lately, and I promised her. My word. What's the matter? I seem to be out of
2: change. Well, here's some coins.
5: Uh, Thank you. Thank you very much.
2: My pleasure. Then you find Mrs. Rhonda Duffy, seated at a clubhouse table, lapping up scotch like there's no tomorrow. Parker comes out and joins you, and you order a round of drinks for everybody. Parker mashes a hand across his face, and he sighs.
6: This was a real humdinger. That it is. What happened to Kitty?
11: She's out at the stables, Lieutenant. She's been very much affected by all of this.
6: Why is she special?
11: Well, it was her knife. In some complex manner, she blames herself for what happened.
6: Maybe it ain't so complex at then.
11: I don't understand, Lieutenant.
6: But look, Mrs. Duffy, we've got a limited number of suspects. The weakest one in the chain is your Katie Adams.
11: But why? Well,
6: let's put it this way. The two weakest links were you and Katie. But I checked at the stewards, and you were with them at the time of the killing. That eliminates you. Now, wait a minute. No
2: offences meant, Mrs. Duffy. Lieutenant Parker is just working at his job.
11: Uh, Of course he is. I'm sorry, Lieutenant.
6: It's all right. The point is that we have excellent reason to believe that Mr. Butcher wanted Jackie alive. Very, very much alive. And from what everyone told us, including you and Katie, Butler was a dear friend of Jackie's. Who does that leave us, Mrs. Duffy?
11: But Katie, I mean...
6: Katie Adams. I can't believe it. Mrs. Duffy... Would there be
2: any... Re- uh, was there any relationship between Katie and Jackie Johnson?
11: Well, it was a long time ago.
6: Please tell us, Mrs. Duffy. Any little point might help.
11: Well, they were interested in one another, but that was, oh, at least a year ago.
6: You mean a serious friendship?
11: Well, Katie thought so. But then, well, she wasn't actually jilted. It was just that Jackie found a new interest.
6: She take it back?
11: For a time, but only for a short time. After a while, she realized that it was all for the best, that Jackie was, well, a rather frivolous type.
6: What do you think, Pete? Well, from a
2: psychological viewpoint, I think no. A lady doesn't wait a year
6: to suddenly vent her spleen. Well, let me ask you this, Mrs. Duffy. How long has she been with you? Two years. And how come she picked today to give you that knife?
11: She had it in a trunk, which she keeps here. She was doing a bit of cleaning when she came across it. She realized that in this state it's illegal to own such a knife, and she gave it to me. I wouldn't exactly say she picked today to give it to Louis, me. Louie,
6: I still think you're barking up the wrong tree. Well, how about that uh, other tree which is approaching John Butler?
5: Oh, I, I'm glad I found you. I want to thank you for your hospitality, oh, Mrs. Duffy. Not at all. And uh, in the circumstances, I must sound like an awful oaf, but I must go home now. Something wrong? Yes, yes, indeed, there is. Urgent, Mr. Butler? Extremely so. My wife has been here. I've called home. Uh, thank you for your kindness, Mr. Chambers. That's
2: quite all right.
5: It seems that she's taken a turn for the worse. Oh, uh, Lieutenant Parker, we're under no restraint, are we? Uh, any of us no no of course not well then if you'll excuse me
2: just a minute mr butler just a minute yes i've got something to show you uh,
5: something to show me uh, what is it
2: what you show him is a bunched up business but he's a strong one and he stands up under the punch but then you work his arm around behind him in a hammer lock and you've got him, but good. Hey, what the heck is going on here? Grab a look in his pockets, Louie. Hey, Pete, do you know what Grab you're doing? Grab a to- look, I told okay, you. Okay, all right. Stance you monkey. Uh,
6: what do you know? What do you got? Parry mutual tickets. A lot uh, of them. For a lot of dough. For that big race, the gray dancer race. Except these are for number two and number three, Tammy Kay and Pamela H.
2: <laughs> Let's hustle this guy inside where we can have some privacy. You talked me into it, sweetheart. Come on, you. <laughs> inside, further privacy is assured by Parker pointing his 38 at the crestfallen butler, who's as limp as a rag doll in the rain. The good Mrs. Duffy's eyes bulge as you count up the mutual ticket. How much, Pete? $2,000 worth on Tammy Kay and $2,000 worth on Pamela Ace.
6: $4,000 worth? Yeah.
2: Huh?
6: You know, this monkey never saw $4,000 in one lump in his whole life.
2: Well, one set is useless the set on Pamela Ace. But the batch on Tammy Kay, that horse paid 40 to $1, and he holds $2,000 worth of tickets.
11: Representing in sum... $80,000. Can you explain any of this, Mr. Chambers? You
2: betcha, Mrs. Duffy. And you, butler. Correct me if I go astray.
7: Unbelievable. Very
2: fantastic. We start with Jackie Johnson, who needed a pile of money and who needed it tonight. But why? He got tangled up with a certain banker by the name of Butcher, otherwise known as a loan shark.
11: I knew he was in trouble when he wanted to see you, but I didn't know what his trouble was.
2: Little Jackie dreamed himself up a Lulu. A three-horse race with two tremendous long shots. And he's riding the cinch favorite. Oh, it's beginning to come to me. Uh, Jackie trusted this John Butler. He got together 4,000 bucks and he talked Butler into coming to the racetrack for the first time in his life. And he pumped him full of
6: instructions. Meaning that Butler was to bet 2,000 bucks on each of the other horses in the race.
2: And Jackie holds back on the gray dancer. And any way you look at it, he's got to win a fortune. Only little Jackie didn't figure on human nature. John Butler suddenly stopped running to form. Yeah, happens with horses and with people. It's my guess, Mrs. Duffy, that the idea came to him when he saw that knife fall out of your handbag. Oh.
6: Is that correct, Mr. Butler? Yes, yes, that's correct. You mean uh, it came to him that with Jackie out of the way, he had 80,000 bucks in his kick... And nobody could say it wasn't his.
11: And those peri tickets are as good as cash? He
6: used to be a pickpocket for entertainment. And this
2: time he did it for real. He clipped a knife out of Mrs. Duffy's bag the first opportunity he had, and in that crowd at the cellar's window, he shoved it into Jackie's ribs. But how? I mean, how
11: did you know?
2: He gave himself away. What? How do you, how do you he to wanted it? to get away from there, Louis. He was afraid the investigation might go a step further. He might be searched, and he had those tickets on his person. Yeah. So, he figured out a reasonable method. As it happens, his reasoning turned out to be a trap.
11: I don't quite understand, Mr. Chambers.
2: He went off to telephone his wife, and he came back with the story that she was ill and that he had to go home all very rational, all very normal, except for one great big hitch. Hitch? He couldn't have spoken to his wife or anybody else at his home. But
11: why not?
2: He was unfamiliar with racetracks. That's where he trapped himself. Oh, come on, I get to the point, Petey. There are no public telephones at the racetrack. That's the point. Oh, but of course not. Nice work, He couldn't have called his wife, and he couldn't have spoken to her. When he broached the subject, I gave him some coins, and I waited. He was either going to clear himself or hang himself.
11: And... He hanged himself.
2: You can bet on that, Mrs. Duffy. And that won't be a wager.
1: And there you've had crime. And Peter Chambers. Dane Clark was starred as Peter Chambers. Crime and Peter Chambers transcribed was created and written by Henry Kane. Others in the cast were Bill Zucker, heard as Lieutenant Parker, Abby Lewis as Mrs. Duffy, and Donald Buca as Butler. It was directed by Fred Way. This is Fred Collins inviting you to tune in next week, same time, same station, for Dane Clark in Crime and Peter Chambers.